Today's episode is sponsored by Mahler Bros Golf. We all want to look good on the golf course, but it often comes at the expense of feeling good. Mahler Bros Golf has polos that look good and feel good. With their lightweight and stretchy material that hugs your body, you will feel cool while looking just as cool. Their polos are guaranteed to make you look better, but it's up to you to golf better. On a hot summer day on the golf course, there's no polo that you would rather wear than Mahler Bros Golf signature polos. Mahler Bros Golf has a large catalog of polos with designs for those who want a loud design and others for those that want a subtle and sleek looking design. They also have fun t-shirts, hats, tumblers, and so much more to make your golfing experience better. Use code BELLYUP at MahlerBros.com for 15% off. You know when you're golfing, the sun's beating down and you want to take your shirt off because of the heat? These polos almost feel like you aren't wearing one at all. Are your polos getting outdated and dingy? Time to get new ones that will make you stand out on the course. You need Mahler Bros Golf Signature Polos. Their polos are a comfortable slim fit that will make you look and feel good when you're golfing with the boys. It can be tough to get the perfect golf polo, but Mahler Bros provides a product that looks great, fits great, and is effective when that sun is beaten down. You can also grab these perfect polos at the Belly Up t-shirts collection by going to maulerbros.com backslash belly up. Mahler Bros doesn't only have polos, they have really fun golf t-shirts that you can wear anywhere. Maybe like that family get-together. Maybe a date. Who knows, maybe even at a college basketball game where you're witnessing the theater. Make sure to let them know where you got that shirt and wear it proudly. Don't wait to try out your new favorite golf apparel. Upgrade your golf attire with Mahler Bros. Get 15% off at MahlerBros.com with code BELLYUP. That's spelled M-A-H-L-E-R-B-R-O-S.com. Again, 15% off at MahlerBros.com with code BELLYUP. Turn heads on the course or wherever you wear Mahler Bros polos. Mahler Bros Golf. Look good. Feel good. And of course, feel good. Play good. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi, riding solo today. Got a great interview, though. No Taylor, but truly an amazing, amazing interview. If you're if you're into story time, if you want to hear some incredible stories from the college level to the pros, not only in the NBA, but internationally, and if you want some NBA Hall of Fame name drops, top 75 players of all time name drops, Tune in for this interview. Uh, it, it, it was it was an absolute blast. We're brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the day, Nigel Hayes. It's a little bit of an Easter egg. I know that I think this is the second week running where I've done a Wisconsin guy. Did Ethan Hap last week? Nigel Hayes, though, is from Toledo. All right. Maybe that'll get the synapses firing, get the juices flowing as to why I dropped a guy from Toledo uh, for your college Hooper of the day. But outside of that, Nigel Hayes was just a really effective player for those Bo Ryan, Wisconsin teams. Slow, slow as molasses type of game, but he was effective as hell. But Nigel Hayes, who went to high school in Toledo, he's your college Hooper of the day. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow me at CBB Theater to find out where the feat is. You should also follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. Let's open the curtains.
shake, crossover, step back, and to Brazil, yellow, safe, and Washington wins it on a last second day. got an awesome interview upcoming here in a few minutes with GCU assistant coach Casey Shaw. I'm telling you guys, some of the stories he he told me were jaw dropping in my estimation. I hope I'm not I hope I'm not overselling this, but the names that he's come across, the elbows that he's rubbed up against and and the job that he's doing at GCU, look, he's been on staff at, on Bryce Drew's staff for three years at GCU, and they've made two NCAA tournaments. That's pretty damn good. So we talk a little bit about GCU. We talk about his playing days. We, of course, we talk about Southwest Ohio. All right, he's from Lebanon, Ohio. My I have family there. Uh, played at Toledo. That's why I dropped Nigel Nigel Hayes. But just a genuinely great guy is Casey Shaw. He is uh, very, very nice, very benevolent, super kind, eager to do this interview. And man, did he come through. It was a blast. But before we get to Casey, I do want to just talk a little bit about Duke and Kansas. So Jeremy Roach back for Duke. Kansas adds Hunter Dickinson. I think a lot of folks are talking about, well, Who's the number one team entering the season or who's going to be the best team moving forward? Is it Duke or is it Kansas? I think a lot of people are are talking about those two teams. I think I would still err on the side of Kansas. All right. I trust Bill Self more than John Shire. I'm kind of nervous that, I mean, we saw this with Carolina. I'm not saying Duke is going to have that exact same fortune. And John Shire didn't get all the way to the NCAA title game. But he had a pretty damn successful first season at Duke, a season in which they didn't lose at at all at Cameron, right? And so now you bring back Tyrese Proctor, you bring back Kyle Filipowski, Mark Mitchell, you bring back uh, Jeremy Roach. That's a damn, damn good roster. But didn't we see that also with Carolina? Didn't we see Caleb Love come back? Didn't we see Armando Baycock come back? Leaky Black? The only one who uh, of significance, really, that didn't was Brady Manick from that title game run. So I think I'm still erring on the side of Kansas. This might be a lazy comp that I'm making between Duke and Carolina, but I would just hang tight, all right? And, I mean, you could really make the case for any team just to hang tight. It's incredible how we've completely overlooked UConn again. I suppose that a lot has to do with what's happening with Andre Jackson. But, you know, and some other personnel. But Donovan Klingon's back. Hurley's still there, right? He's not going anywhere. Um, so let's not let's not overlook UConn, who has done everything in everything right to earn the respect that that they really should have. And it's almost like a microcosm of the blue blood conversation that I've I've put to rest in my estimation. I think UConn is a blue blood, but here we are talking about just a, a, a 
month and a half removed from UConn with one of the most dominant NCAA tournament runs, running back, running it back with a decent amount of their players. And here we are talking about Duke and Kansas. So I would just be wary of, of Duke just for a little bit. All right. And remember, Kansas still has a championship pedigree from a couple of years ago. Dewan Harris. All right. And again, I'm going to give the edge to Bill Self. But Duke is going to be great <laughs> yet again. Uh, and that's huge news here in the offseason. The other item I want to touch on, NBA coaches are getting fired like crazy. Nick Nurse, Mike Budenholzer, Doc Rivers, Monty Williams. These are all coaches that have won NBA championships or uh, competed for an NBA championship gotten to that last series of the season but i want to focus in on uh the the sixers vacancy here now doc rivers is gone and i love doc as a celtics fan i love doc because he delivered that 08 title title or helped deliver it helped deliver that 08 title now has he been great in philly no you got to be able to get out of the second round especially in that city especially with the mvp especially with james harden but he's also had to deal with Someone like Ben Simmons, who hasn't been the, the easiest employee, for sure. But what fascinates me here, and I'm getting to the college basketball aspect of this, is is this an opportunity? Is this an avenue for Jay Wright? I'm not in the know. I'm not close to Jay Wright. But he's, he's in Philly, right? He can stay in Philly, take that Sixers job, and potentially have success with it. I know he's been linked a little bit to some other coaching vacancies, some other opportunities. I don't know if folks thought that the Sixers job would be available after this season, after Embiid won MVP and after the Sixers arguably look like the best team in basketball since the trade deadline, maybe even, you know, since the, the all-star break. So I don't know if, if there's any traction to Jay Wright taking the Sixers job, but I think it'd be fun as hell to see. Uh, I'd be a little nervous for him. Just off the top of my head, I'm thinking of coaches that have made the leap, college coaches that have made the leap. I think one of the most catastrophic examples was John Beeline leaving a terrific thing at Michigan to go to the Cavs. But I'd be interested to see if if Daryl Morey and the Sixers kick the tires on Jay Wright. What I will say, though, is there is not going to be much room for error that those two Nova titles are going to buy you. So what do I mean by that? If they lose in the second round again, Philly fans, Sixers fans are going to be pissed at Jay Wright, just like they were pissed at Brett Brown, just like they were pissed at Doc Rivers. So that is kind of a drawback, right? Jay Wright exited on his own terms at Villanova. He did damn near everything you can do at the highest level for a great program he delivered. And he went out like a king, went out on his own terms. If he takes the Sixers job, that's kind of erased, right? It, it, it's it's if they underperform, it doesn't matter what Jay Wright did for Villanova. As a matter of fact, some people might say, well, he belongs in the kiddie pool. I'm sure that that that's what would get thrown around. So just very interesting. I think for theater purposes, it'd be fun to see. I think it would be super intriguing to see how Jay Wright takes on the likes of of Joel Embiid, James Harden, if he's still there, 
Tyrese Maxey. I mean, the Sixers have the pieces. They, they, they won 50-plus games. Uh, it's just a matter of getting them to perform at the highest level in the postseason, which they have not done since 2001. So, very interesting stuff going on in the NBA. Watch out for Kansas and Duke this upcoming season. But without further ado, let's go ahead and get to our interview now with Casey Shaw. And I'll tie it in here. Casey Shaw was drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers. We get into that. He had a locker next to Allen Iverson. Wait to hear about that story. Just some terrific, terrific stuff from Casey. Uh, So let's go ahead, get to this interview now with GCU assistant coach Casey Shaw. All right, we are thrilled to welcome to Theater and College Hoops, a basketball lifer, one of the best players to come out of Toledo, ranking top five in block shots and rebounds and top 10 in scoring, an NBA draft pick of the Philadelphia 76ers, an international pro in Italy and Spain, and now an assistant coach at honestly one of the most lovable mid-majors in the entire country. From Grand Canyon University, we got Casey Shaw. Casey, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining us. I'm doing great. Thanks so much. Thanks for that uh, nice introduction. I appreciate that. Well, so I'm doing a little bit of research here, okay, and that includes Wikipedia. Do you know that they still have you listed as the head coach at Davidson Academy? In Tennessee, I did not. I did not know that. I was the head coach for for one year, so uh, and that's been uh, <laughs> about four or five years ago. So, so that needs to be updated. I'm not even sure how to do that, but uh, but yeah, that's uh, uh, definitely needs to be updated. So, Wikipedia can be publicly edited. Do I have your permission to update your page? Because we got to yes, get this accurate. Do. Yes, please do. Please do. I'll, I'll be sure yeah, to so do that. Been, One I've thing. Been at Canyon University now for the last uh, three seasons. So going into my fourth season here at GCU. It's been an awesome run of success in those three seasons as well. Two NCAA tournament berths, a couple of conference titles, really impressive work. And we're going to get into all of that, Casey. Um, One thing yeah. the Wikipedia page did get right. You're from Lebanon, Ohio. Confirm that for That's me. Right. That's right. Absolutely. Lebanon High School, the Warriors. Unbelievable. So what a small world. I, I went email diving uh, to a lot of assistant coaches and Casey nice enough to respond. And I see that you're from Lebanon and I'm like, I've been preaching how much of a Southwest Ohio guy I am. I love Cincinnati and my sister-in-law lives in Lebanon. Yeah, that's awesome. So where my where I grew up was basically my backyard was a place called Kings Island, uh, which I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's right there uh, in Mason, Ohio, and uh, wasn't too far from home. So that's kind of our uh, famous landmark that and, and, and a restaurant called the Golden Lamb, which has had like five presidents come through and, and, and dine there. So that's the two. Oh, and the last thing, actually, you may not know this. Neil Armstrong is actually from Lebanon, Ohio. So, and Woody Harrelson, Neil Armstrong, Woody Harrelson from small Lebanon, Ohio. So that's our kind of claim to fame. (laughs) I love, I love going to Lebanon. And like I said, I love Cincinnati. It's only about what, a 45 minute drive from there. Uh, And and so Lebanon's great, but yeah, all of those, all of those nuggets that you had, that you had mentioned, uh, you got to tell the folks what Kings Island is though, because I don't think you mentioned that it's a theme park. It is a, it is a, it is one of the, it is maybe the best theme park. Let's be honest. This thing has been around forever. They have a ride there. It's the, 
largest at the time was the largest wooden roller coaster in the world called the beast and uh so that's i grew up uh riding that thing and uh, i don't think i fit on it anymore i'm 610 so it's kind of hard to get on roller coasters but when i was a kid uh we loved it <laughs> but casey so being from ohio obviously having gone to toledo right i'm sure people are going to be uh, uh, 10 toes deep in sandusky Right. They, is that a better theme park in Sandusky than I, I've, I've been to Cedar Point and, and I, I just I, I don't know. I've got my biases. You know, I've got some biases that I just can't let go. Kings Island is uh, is a pretty special place. Now, I got to I got to say, though, my, my grandma's property backed up to Kings Island property. And they had a, tr- a little train that would go through this animal park at the time. It had llamas and stuff like that. So me and my brothers would actually jump the fence. Uh, I probably shouldn't be telling the secret, but we could jump the fence, go through, avoid the llamas in the train and uh, get into the park. And so that's why uh, that's why I've got such great memories of that spot. <laughs> no, this is really helpful because yeah. I got two nephews yeah. who live in Lebanon and they're babies now. But I know once they get into the mischievous stuff, <laughs> they'll probably be doing a lot of that. So uh, it's that's great right. to have it's great to have a veteran from there. And honestly, I could go so much further into this. So before I, I move on to the actual basketball stuff, my, my brother-in-law says Southwest Ohio is home to the best wings. All right. So I got to ask you frickers or roosters. Do you have a preference? Ooh, gosh, that's a tough one. I mean, I thought you'd ask about skyline or gold star chili, you know, the Cincinnati chili, but I'd probably go to roosters. Uh, you know, when I was there, the big argument was the uh, was was the Skyliner Gold Star, and that's the that's the thing I always go for whenever I go home. My mom still lives in Lebanon, along with my three brothers and their families, wives, kids, everybody. Um, in fact, my sister-in-law and brother are both teachers at Lebanon High School still, so I try to get back there about once a year. And whenever I do, I, I'm, I'm hitting Skyline Chili for sure. Incredible stuff. I, I told you about my nephews. I'm sure when they grow up, I, I, wouldn't it be amazing if they ended up uh, being taught by, by one of your siblings or in-laws? Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Casey, I love that we, we started off right then and there, but now I do want to pivot a little bit to basketball and talk a little bit about your personal journey. Let's start with the playing career, okay? Uh, it's not often we get a ton of uh, D1 players. I think it's really fascinating to peel back the layers and find out the story of the recruiting process and what that was like for you coming out of Lebanon. Uh, How'd you make it to Toledo and what were some of the other offers that you had? Yeah. So, um, well, I didn't play AAU. So in the, in the mid nineties, AAU was around, but it wasn't anything like what it is today. Uh, there was five-star camps, um, blue chip camps, things like that. And that's where coaches did some recruiting. I did do a couple of those camps, uh, but I was a little bit unique. Neither one of my parents went to college. And so I was the first family, you know, person in my family to go to college. So they didn't have any idea uh, what this entailed. My dad was tall, but he wasn't an athlete. Um, and so, uh, uh, so I relied a lot on my high school coach and my high school coach, uh, Dave Merchant, he, his wife had a connection to Larry Gibson, who was the head coach at university of Toledo, uh, Larry's wife and, and my high school coach's wives, they were related in some capacity. I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember exactly how, but, but they were connected. And, uh, so, um, I think my high school coach called him, you know, my sophomore, junior year and said, Hey, you need to keep an eye on this big guy. Um, 
when I got uh, to my going into my senior year, um, I took visits to three schools. Uh, I went to um, Toledo and Kent State, who are in the MAC, and uh, my third visit was the University of Cincinnati, and. Uh, I was ready to commit probably to UC at the time. I mean, in 94, uh, or what's it, 92 or 93, maybe the Bearcats had gone to the final four with Nick Van Exel and Corey Blunt, some of those guys. I don't know if you remember some of those names. So I was really excited to go. Uh, but I remember on the visit, my mom and I, we watched a Bobby Huggins practice and I love coach Huggins. I think he's a great coach. Uh, but, uh, in the nineties, uh, it was, it was off the, off the charts nuts. And so I, I was sitting there thinking, boy, I don't know. I don't know if I could, <laughs> I can get through this for four years. So, uh, so, uh, obviously a, a hall of fame coach and, and uh, a, a great person, but I think the personal connection is what really mattered. Um, I see that even now with, you know, recruiting in, in my current position, you know, as an assistant coach, it, it's all about connection. It's like business, you network, you know, people, and then, you know, those connections translate to helping, you know, find, find players and, and find good fits for your school and your program. So it ended up working out great for me at Toledo. I met my wife there. So, uh, you know, couldn't be happier with my choice. Absolutely. Ohio, obviously a big state. I mean, a, a lot of people just think, oh, Toledo's in, in Ohio. I mean, geographically though, you're, it's not super close. I mean, you're, you're pretty far from home. Um, I'm curious though, were there any schools outside of Ohio that you were considering or were those the three main schools that you had really zeroed in on? Yeah. You know, I, I really didn't. And, and I, you know, I feel really stupid admitting this, but I went back through some of my, my mom had kept some old letters, you know, that I'd received from coaches, some of my recruiting letters. And, uh, uh, she gave them to me a couple of years ago and I went back through and I was looking at some of them and I was shocked. I mean, there were some, some good schools, some really good programs, some high major type programs, um, uh, that had recruited me. And I just, you know, if they weren't in Ohio, I was just like, ah, I don't know. You know, I didn't really know the difference between, um, you know, certain schools. And so, uh, uh, so, you know, it, it worked out. God had a plan and all of that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I ended up at Toledo, but I look back and I'm like, man, I, there's a lot, actually, I had a lot of options and, and choices, but, um, but chose to stick around trying to be relatively close to, to home. It was clearly a great choice, Casey. Like I said in the intro, ranked top five in block shots and rebounds, top 10 in scoring. So I think on the surface, a lot of people will just say, well, he transitioned super smoothly. But I know there's always a story from high schoolers going to college and then even that next level, college to the pros, whether it be in the NBA or overseas or the G League, what they call the G League. Now, can you tell us a little bit about that transition and what that process was like maybe from the summer of your senior year of high school going into freshman year and then beyond? Yeah, so um, I'm fortunate to go to Toledo from this standpoint as well as I got to play. Uh, I did redshirt my freshman year. So, um, you know, I needed to kind of bulk up. In the 90s, it was a lot more important for big guys to be heavier and stronger. You had to wrestle a little bit more in the paint and, uh, you know, post up. And, um, and so I did redshirt my first year to bulk up. But then I got to play. I got to play four years. And, you know, I started every single game except my first game of my college career uh, for, for four straight years. And so, um, you know, being able to go to a mid-major and not be kind of pigeonholed into, okay, you're only allowed to do this or you have to wait a couple of years before you get to play was good for my development. 
um, because that's what I need. I needed to play. I needed to play more. Um, uh, but uh, but I was always pretty athletic. Um, I, I high jumped six foot ten in high school, so I could always jump and run and do that. But um, but I needed to get stronger and then develop more from a skill standpoint. And so, you know, that redshirt year was really really helpful for me. I'm very grateful for that. And then and then obviously then stepping in right after that redshirt year. Uh, I played with a, an athletes in action team the summer after my redshirt year. We went to the Ukraine and Poland, uh, maybe one other country. We, it was about a six-week tour in the summer. Back then, you couldn't work out the way they do now with college kids in the summer with their coaches. So, so I went overseas, and I played for about six weeks, and it ended up being tremendous. So I got game time experience, so I came right back into Toledo, and then you know, the rest is history. Went right into it. So uh yeah that, that those were those were good times to just kind of develop who i was and as a player and, and work on my game curious to know casey do you think that time spent playing at a mid-major and now you're coaching at a mid-major and of course you've coached at vanderbilt so that's a high major program but do you think your time at toledo your playing days at toledo has served you in a positive sense now that you're at gcu maybe relating to some of your your athletes and and your basketball players yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, even like our staff here, I mean, I played in a mid-major and was drafted in the NBA. Uh, coach Drew, who's our head coach, he he uh, played in a mid-major and was a, a borderline lottery pick. He was a 16th pick in the draft and played six years in the NBA. Um, and so, um, you know, it's very possible to go to a, to a mid-major, especially today, because, because I do think that – you know, at a mid-major level, it's all about, you know, if you can win, if you can get to the NCAA tournament, you look at the tournament this year with San Diego State, I mean, like what what these mid-major programs have done now, there's so much more parity in college basketball. And so um, so, so just, just being able to make a choice where it's a, a better fit, not necessarily the biggest offer, is I think it is important for kids today. And so, you know, I mean, we've been to two NCAA tournaments in the last three years and now we're building a roster, not just to get to the tournament, but to try to advance. I mean, we want to get there in advance. That's the goal. You know, it's, it's, it's progressed. And so we're competing against some really good programs to get players. Um, but the thing I can tell players is, you know, uh, you know, uh, we're in the Western athletic conference. We're not in a power five, but you can come here and you can, perform you can produce and you can still get the exposure and be on a national stage get to the NCAA tournament that frankly a lot of teams that are at the power five level don't get don't get a chance to do I mean we've been to more NCAA tournaments in the last three years than uh you know you know probably 10 schools in the in the ACC you know what I mean so um uh so it's so I think that you know again though it's got to be the right fit and the right player and the right person and uh and it works yeah, it absolutely does. And like I said, you guys have experienced a great deal of success in such a short tenure, obviously the the Bryce Drew era and, and your era as well. And so, Casey, if we if we take it a step further now, I talked a little bit about transitioning from high school to college. 
we don't get many players on this program that have been drafted, that have heard their name called. We had Roberto Bergerson on, who is an assistant coach over at Boise State. He got drafted, and I'm a sucker, Casey, for stories of draft night. So you really got to take us behind the scenes and tell us about what the draft process looks like. I'm here in Chicago. There, there's the combines going on right now. The lottery balls were ping-ponging last night. Uh, tell us a little bit about your draft process and then take us to that that night give us all the nitty-gritty details of where you were who you were with when you heard your name called yeah so before i do that though i gotta say a quick roberto bergeson story because i love that please, guy. this please. is the, this is gonna this is where this is where you just threw out a name that like the basketball world is so small um I played with Berto in Milan in 2000 and oof, 2001, I think 2002, and uh, in this in, in Milan, Italy. We were teammates together, really good friends. Uh, his wife and my wife uh, hung out all the time. I remember he had this big dog that he brought. He had this humongous dog uh, that he brought from the states, but an unbelievable player, a great man. I mean, he's. I love him dearly. He's 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 an awesome coach. That's so cool that you had him on there. Uh, but uh, we're about the same age, so anyways, basketball. Let, let me world. tell you something, Casey. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be uh, sending that clip to both <laughs> you and and Coach Bergerson via yeah. email because that's how I communicated with you both. So yeah. I'm gonna kick off that email thread after this. That's awesome, man. It's so cool. It's so cool. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the process for the draft, you know. Um, <laughs> I think for me, the one thing I would say is like, I wasn't necessarily thinking about the NBA until at least my junior year. You know, I never, I was trying to get my degree. I was so happy that I got my college paid for. And, and that was kind of what I was about. And then my junior year, you know, things I was playing, I just tried to play hard. You know, I went out and I just tried to play really hard and I'm not the most skilled player. It wasn't like I'm you know, Dirk Nowitzki with threes and could handle and do all that. But I just played really hard. And uh, so started getting some NBA attention. Um, my senior year, uh, there was talk that I might be potentially be able to be drafted, but I really wasn't on any draft boards. And so, um, but I got an invite to the combine, uh, which is, you know, what you're experiencing right now there in Chicago. So I, I went to the combine and I played really well. Um, and to give you a, a kind of a funny thing, I think over the over the weekend, I don't know, we played five or six games, whatever it was. I think I averaged a triple double, but it was points, rebounds, and fouls. You couldn't back then. I don't know if they do it now. They you can't foul out. So they were they told me that when they told me like you can't foul out, I was like, this is great. Like I'm going, I'm going, and I and I and I I was always pretty athletic and pretty strong. In fact, I. I at, at the combine, I broke the bench press record, which was uh, with 225 pounds, the number of times you bench press, which is a stupid test. I mean, and it doesn't has nothing to do with how good you're going to be as a basketball player, but whatever. But I did that and I went out on the floor and then I just played as hard as I could. You know, just I, I mean, I was like, it's like, you know, you just you just have I'm I like got nothing to lose. So I played really hard there. Um, so immediately when we finished that weekend after the combine, all of a sudden my phone just blew up basically. Now we didn't have cell phones in, but you know what I mean? But so phone just blew up. My agent's calling me and um, he says, there's a chance you could potentially slip into the first round. You know, that's gotta be the goal. So he says, um, you know, we're going to work out, but you've got a limited time between now and the draft. And so I ended up having 11 workouts and they were with all the teams that were from about, you know, the 18th pick to the 30th pick somewhere in there. You know, we, we, 
we were, that was what I was trying to do was to sneak in. That was a, that's a big deal if you can get in that first round. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I had a bunch of workouts, um, the night of the draft, uh, you know, there was like, Hey, it's possible you could go, you know, late twenties, like, but we don't know. So, uh, watch the draft. I don't go in the first round and, uh, the second round comes. And, uh, I remember the 37th picks, so that's the eighth pick in the second round. It was Philly's pick. I didn't work out with Philly. They didn't have a first round pick. So I never worked out. So I actually went to the kitchen, uh, and uh, didn't even pay attention. And so I never even really got to hear my name called. I was actually in the kitchen getting some out of the fridge. And um, so, uh, but yeah, I got picked by Philly and, and I uh, got a chance to go there. So, yeah. That's incredible. What a, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not going to call it anticlimactic, Casey, <laughs> but I, do you, I kind of wish for you that you were able to rewind that, yeah. not go to the fridge. But uh, yeah. and, and, yeah. I, I want to unpack just one thing that you said there uh, and relate it back to what you had said earlier. Uh, so you had mentioned that watching a huggy bear practice, you were you were kind of sitting there and saying, I don't know if I can deal with this for yeah. four for four years. Fast forward, you're now in an NBA sort of training camp or an audition. Did you say, did you say to yourself at all for those eight teams or whatever it was? Uh, did you say to yourself, uh, I don't know if I can handle this for the rest of my career? Like, did yeah. that go through your mind, or did you sort of graduate to a point where you're like, No, I belong here. Yeah, I definitely grew up a lot. And, uh, um, you know, I, it was, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I felt like um, there wasn't a big difference between me and guys from, uh, you know, the bigger schools, and the bigger conferences. And, and once I got in that environment, I was like, wow, like I can actually hang and play. And, and so, um, but uh but I, I'll tell you, you know, I look back and I think it was good that I went to Toledo. Coach Huggins is, a, is an awesome coach. Sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I would have gone to, to Cincinnati. But I do know this. I wouldn't have played all the games I did and started every game the way that I did. I wouldn't have had the freedom that I did at Toledo. And I know that Coach Huggins is obviously an excellent coach, but the higher levels you go, the more roles are defined and you have to kind of stay in your lane, so to speak. And I don't know if I would have played the first three years, you know, I would have, it would have taken me that long, but my development was accelerated because going to a mid-major, getting to play earlier. And um, and then I went to the NBA, you played for Larry Brown, who was uh is an Hall of Fame, unbelievable coach. So uh, even in my just in my short time there with Philly for that season, um, got to learn a lot from him. Actually, house sat for him in the summer because he loved having Dana and I around and and uh, just appreciated what I brought to the team. And um, so uh, really, really uh, like uh, my opportunity to play for him was awesome. Casey, you segued that beautifully. So what I need to do is dive into this Sixers roster that you were drafted to. All right. And so I want to share this. And for those that can't see, we're talking guys like Matt Geiger with the yeah. with the mean barbed wire tattoo. I remember Matt Geiger, <laughs> right. Harvey Grant, great lineage. Tyrone Hill was a great power yeah. forward. Larry Hughes, man, I'm a Celtics fan, so I love Jason Tatum. I love those boys from St. Louis, Larry Hughes. Uh, of course, Allen Iverson, one of the yeah. greatest players. George Lynch from Carolina, Rick Mahorn. I mean, Aaron McKee, Nazi Muhammad, yeah. Theo Ratliff. I'm not just trying to go down the list. These are all... <laughs> All notable great players, yeah. uh, pretty much the core and foundation of the team that the last Sixers team that won the Eastern Conference. You got Eric Snow at point yeah. guard, Tim Thomas. I mean, Casey, you look up and down this, led by a legendary coach. 
you yeah. look up and down this list when you're entering this. I mean, were you intimidated at all? What was your thought process like? I'm going to be sharing a locker room with these guys. <laughs> well, the funny thing is the first day uh, that I got there, they gave me my locker. And I don't know if it was a rookie thing, but they put me right next to Allen Iverson. So I was actually right next to him uh, for the entirety of the season. And uh, it was uh, what an incredible experience. But if you look at, you know, as, you, as we looked at that list, what you'll notice is there's a lot of good big guys, you know. I mean, everybody remembers Allen Iverson. And, of course, Eric Snow was an unbelievable guard. He was our captain, leader, coach on the floor. Uh, so was Aaron McKee, who was just uh, recently the head coach at Temple University, his alma mater. Uh, but our bigs were really good. Theo Ratliff and Matt Geiger that year had just signed Max uh, contracts for for the for them. Uh, Rick Mahorn, Harvey Grant, Tim Thomas was a three, but he was still six foot ten. Um, Tyrone Hill uh, and Nazi Muhammad was drafted with me. Nazi was uh, the, he was picked by Utah with the thirtieth pick, the last pick of the first round, but uh, traded to the Sixers. Um, and so I had a, I was a pretty relatively high second round pick. Um, but I, and I had a two year deal. Usually they give those high second round picks, you know, a two or three year deal. Um, and, uh, but, uh, but I didn't get to, I didn't play, you know, I'll just be honest. I didn't play. And so at the end of that year, I told my agent, I said, well, you know, what are my options? And he said, well, he said, you know, they own your rights for two years, so you can, you know, you can't go anywhere else, but, uh, but you could go overseas and then come back. And so that's the route I chose uh, to go overseas. Looking back in hindsight, I would have never done that because I never understood at the time, I do now as a coach, but your, your, your 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th man on a roster is so important. And I know Coach Brown loved me. I mean, I'm at practice every day early. I'm, I'm, I'm working hard. I was great with the guys. Like, you know, like just, you know, I, I wanted to be a coach. So I was always, you know, talking with the guys, helping, you know, I, I wanted to win. And um, that, that position is pretty nice. You know, it's a good spot to be in in the NBA. You, you know, you just, uh, you go, you, you, you do your job, you be a good guy, you help in the locker room and, and, uh, and things go well. But, uh, but unfortunately, you know, at the time I was young and, and kind of naive. I thought if I go overseas, I'll be able to come back fairly easy. And, and that just wasn't the case. Um, and so I left after my first year, went to Italy and uh, the rest is history. I ended up having a really nice career in Italy and Spain. Yeah. And, and we'll get into that. Casey, if you don't mind, I'm going to write a little revisionist history. All right. If you okay. stick around with the Sixers, 2001 NBA finals, I think you lock down Shaq and the Sixers <laughs> win the NBA title. No disrespect to Geiger and Todd McCullough, but yeah. I think you lock down Shaq. What do you say? <laughs> I think he'd probably break my spine in half, but I actually got to see Shaq up close and he is a mountain of a man. Um, uh, so that was probably some of the highlights of my year in the NBA was getting to see Shaq up close, getting to see guys like Kobe Bryant, Dennis Rodman, you know, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know why his name popped in my head, but those were kind of David Robinson, uh, you know, just kind of seeing those guys up close and, and getting in the game against some of them, um, uh, was, uh, was really, it was really amazing. The size of those guys is incredible. Like people know they're big, but the guys that make NBA players look small are humongous humans like Shaq and uh, you know, these guys, I mean, like David Robin, I mean, they're just, they're just, just freaks of, 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 uh, you know, just genetic uh, men that just, uh, just can dominate on the basketball court. So it was, it was so cool to get to see those guys up close and sometimes get in the game at the end of the game, you know, jump in. And, uh, but, uh, 
but yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd be helping us much in 2001 with, <laughs> with that. We can, we can chalk it up to fan fiction, but it is yeah. a really good point that you bring up and it's really fascinating. The evolution of the big man. I mean, you got guys like you had mentioned Shaq, David Robinson, who's literally chiseled out of stone and Adonis. Yeah. And then, this upcoming draft, one of the most generational prospects in Victor Wembanyama, who is yeah. a, a freak of genetic nature in and of his of himself, but he's not as as shredded, let's say, yeah. or big yeah. as those other guys, and and that's not necessarily a drawback. That actually yeah. might be a positive here in today's game. It's it's amazing. Uh, well, I tell you, the guy that really stands out was in my draft class. Uh, that I think of, which is Dirk Nowitzki. And when he was picked, I want to say he was uh, the sixth pick, sixth or seventh. I remember uh, Milwaukee actually selected Nowitzki and then traded for Robert Tractor Trailer. And Robert Trailer was from Michigan. He was a really big body, you know, big, strong legs, a real strong, big guy. And I think people thought, what is Dallas doing? You know, taking this, you know, this skinny German kid. And uh, the first time I saw Dirk, uh, was in summer league that right after the draft we did. Uh, and in the summer league, I remember he walked into a hotel I was in and I was blown away. His shoulders like filled a doorway. He was broad. He was way, he was a lot bigger than I had imagined. And he was really tall. Like he was a lot taller than me. And, uh, and I just, you know, and now obviously that first year getting to see him was like, wow, this kid, he is unbelievable. And I, I honestly, I mean, obviously Tony Kukoc, guys like that, began to progress the evolution of the of the modern big man. But Dirk Nowitzki is really the one that once he came on the scene and was doing the things the way he could shoot it, man, that feels like he's one that really kind of helped, you know, push it forward to where these guys are today. Certainly a unicorn in every sense of the word. And yeah. so you bring up some international players like Dirk, like Tony Kukoc, uh, and you spent some time overseas. I want to dive into that. What was it like playing overseas? Again, Casey, it seems to me as I as I unfold this, your basketball career has been a ton of transitioning, high school to college to the NBA yeah. and now overseas. Tell us a little bit about playing in Italy and Spain, if you don't mind. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. I, you know, my first year in Italy, you know, I was in a city called Cantu, which is north of Milan. And, uh, my wife and I had an apartment um, on the fourth or fifth floor that looked out and you could see the, the pre-Alpes, the pre-Alps, you know, so the mountains that go right before the Alps. And it was, it was just beautiful. We loved it. I mean, it was, uh, it felt a lot more like college where the fans, the city embraced you. Uh, as true fans that really lived and died with with every basket, with every win, with every loss, and uh, and I loved it. You know, I was embraced. I felt like by the by the people, and and uh, um, and, and so we we had four kids. Uh, we started having kids. Our, my daughter was born after our first year in Italy, and and then we have three boys. Um, we put them right into public school, so they were speaking Italian, and and uh, yeah, we were loving it. So. Can you help me better understand this now, Casey, though, as someone who has played overseas and thought that was the most viable option for you at the time, and now you're coaching, all right? And so what I want to bring up is this. I feel like there's some sort of stigma, or maybe there's not even um, the wherewithal or the idea that kids want to pursue a career overseas. Obviously, People want to play in the NBA. That's the end-all, be-all goal. But do you think there are some kids who don't even think of overseas as an option, Casey? And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I think some of this might even be fueled 
by social media in the sense yeah. that if one star player in the NBA doesn't have a good playoff series, they're like, oh, he's getting shipped to to China or Italy. Or, and, and it's like, by the way, those guys have great careers. All right. There yeah. is no shame whatsoever in playing overseas. Do you think there's some sort of stigma or do you think, you know, kids who don't there are kids who don't think of overseas as an option? Yeah, there probably is. I mean, the NBA is obviously the ultimate goal, I think, for most kids. That's what they see. But I will say this. You get overseas, and, and I mean, I got to play in EuroLeague, so I played in cities like Barcelona and Tel Aviv and Moscow, Paris, uh, Rome. You know, it's it's an incredible experience. I mean, the, you know, Maccabi Tel Aviv, to play in front of that crowd, you know, and what, what those people, I mean, they are, it was so amazing. And, and you know, and then you get treated like an NBA player. I mean, I played for uh, Armani Jeans Milano. Uh, and so the owner was Giorgio Armani uh, in Milan. And, uh, you know, he made us all custom suits. We had, I mean, we were living in, in a city like Milan and just, you know, um, with him backing our team. You know, obviously, soccer is the big sport over there, but it was an incredible experience. I mean, we traveled well. Um, that, one year in Milan, we had uh, I played with a guy named Danilo Gallinari, who's a longtime NBA player. He was uh, he was in fact that year I'll, I'll never forget um, Gallo was being uh, you know going to be drafted, and so scouts would come to watch him. But many times it, were, it was the lead head scouts of teams, and at that time Isaiah Thomas was was uh, was one. Um, I'm trying to think Kevin McHale, Larry Bird, all the, these guys actually came over. And and looked at him, and many times they'd say, "All right, well, Casey, you know, what do you think? He's a young guy on the team. You know, he's 18 years old. You know, how's he practice stuff like that?" So I got some, I got some, you know, chat with a lot of these guys. But it was great. The other the other teammate that was on that team was a, a guy named Melvin Booker, who um, uh, had a son, about 12 year old son, who came over for not the whole time. He's only came over about three months. He's about 12, but he'd be running around shooting baskets in the gym. And his son's name is Devin. So, uh, yeah, so, so, so Melvin, in fact, Melvin lives here, obviously in Phoenix and, uh, you know, with Devin being here, but you know, I remember after a couple of years, Melvin retired and he said, uh, I called him up once. Hey, what are you doing? He said, well, he said, I'm not, he said, I'm retired. You know, he's like, I'm done. He's like, I'm just training my son. I said, training your son, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, he's in high school. He's like, he's going to be pretty good. He's like, he's getting recruited a little bit. He's like, you know, Kentucky, Michigan State are calling. They're recruiting him. He's like, but I'm just taking my time, just training him. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> here, here we are. You know? Unbelievable. Yeah. That is that is truly unbelievable. First of all, Casey, if you if you don't want to continue pursuing coaching, you should be a storyteller. That was a great way of building up who the, Melvin Booker. Huh, Booker should ring a bell, especially during this insane playoff run. That's that's right. great stuff. But I mean, I, I'm I'm sort of sitting back here marveling at how many stories and how many names you've dropped, and that's exactly why we wanted to get you on because you know it doesn't matter who you are, the, the places you've been. You've been in touch and in contact with some of the most jaw-dropping names in the basketball world. <laughs> well, it's, I've been fortunate and blessed, and, and uh, you know, hopefully, I've learned a lot over the years from some really good people, and 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 been able to uh, kind of impart some of that experience and wisdom to these guys on the Grand Canyon basketball team. You know, that's my job. And uh, but I've been I've been really fortunate. I got some great story. I'm from you know, lived in Ohio, man. I didn't you know, so I'm I'm, I'm very grateful. Absolutely. And I, I feel like we could go all day with the stories, but 
the meat and potatoes of this program is about college hoops. And I want to pivot now to your school, to your team, the Lopes, baby. Let's talk a little Lopes here. Uh, I want to rewind to the WAC tournament. Okay. So you're the three seed entering this. Uh, Utah Valley is having a great season with Mark Madsen. Now he's over there at Cal. Uh, but you're the three seed pretty much know, Hey, we got to win this baby. If we want to keep dancing, what's the thought process going into the WAC tournament? What was that prep preparation like for, for your squad? Well, I'll take it back. Even um, we were picked to win the conference last year. We had the preseason player of the year, our point guard who was, uh, uh, you know, was coming. Um, and so uh, we were actually playing well. We had had the highest uh, net, uh, team win in school history and hit January. We were two and zero in conference play. Our point guard tears his ACL. And uh, so we lose our preseason player of the year point guard. Then we go a couple more weeks and our starting center breaks his hand uh, in, uh, in a game. And so we lose him for eight weeks. And so we had a very up and down season due to injuries last year, but we started to kind of figure out, I think Bryce Drew is an excellent, uh, you know, just, um, in-game coach that his ability to make adjustments on the fly and to change things from an offensive standpoint is is really um he's really good at it and so we were starting to figure things out we um we went into the wacker we were actually the five seed so we ha- we would have had to win we had to win four games in five days uh to go to the tournament i must have misread um, that i'm sorry yeah no it was uh so so obviously um sam houston had a really good season they ended up being the one seed although utah valley um the way our conference did seating was a little bit quirky this year um but but sam houston would be the one seed utah valley seattle was the three or i'm sorry uh southern utah was the three seed seattle was the four we were the five so um but uh but but we played uh went on a road trip up to utah and co- any coaches that listen to this will, will appreciate this, but but our guys did a players only meeting. We were in Utah right before the whack, and they did a players only meeting. They, you know, we had a couple of our upperclassmen step up and say, "Listen, you know, we wanted more. We want more out of this. How do we come together?" And they did this. It was really player led, and it was a beautiful thing. And so, uh, ended up winning two games on that trip to Utah, beating Southern uh, Utah and Utah Tech, and then went into the whack tournament and. You know, the rest is history. Won, won four out of five games, uh, and or sorry, four games in five days, and uh, which isn't easy to do. But our guys uh, locked in. They played together. They played with heart and passion, and and it was uh, it was really fun to see. We kind of, like I said, we kind of had to figure things out though to get to that point where it's really hard. You lose a point guard. It's hard to bounce back from that. Yeah, and I, I've long stated, Casey, that. People overlook conference tournaments. I think there's so much great theater that goes on. Like you had mentioned, yeah. there you got you got teams that who need to clinch their tournament to keep dancing. They have to they've they have to play four games in a row, which is insanely yeah. difficult to yeah. do. I don't I don't care how old you are. That is so brutal to do. I, I'm curious to know in that whack tournament, which provided some great drama. Uh, I had mentioned Utah Valley. You're looking on. Right. I'm sure you're looking at who your potential matchups could be. You see them essentially. I think they lost on a four point play. Shocking four point play. And I'm not asking you to make any commentary on Utah Valley or anything like that. But when that happened, did you kind of say to yourself, hey, the door's a little bit open here. The door's creaked open. Or is your team just saying, I don't care who we play? No, I definitely felt like Utah Valley was a was a much 
harder matchup for us. So, but it, it was crazy. Uh, you know, we, our staff was there. We're scouting the game. So I'm sitting in the front row and I'm like getting all of, uh, you know, getting all of Mark Madsen's play calls. I mean, I literally was sitting on the floor across from Mark, uh, listening to every, every call he made and writing it down, writing down the time. I mean, I'm literally, you know, we're scouting and, and uh, you know, Utah Valley, um, is pulling away. And, uh, so I was, I had Utah Valley and one of our other assistants had Southern Utah. Well, with about 15 minutes to go, Utah Valley's up 20, 25 points. I remember it was over 20. They were up by a lot and he puts his notebook away. He's like, okay, you know, like we'll start watching Utah Valley. And, uh, and so it just, you know, started, you know, I think that Utah Valley started to kind of, you, you get up that much, 20, 25 points, and you start to slow down. You start to take your foot off the gas. As a coach, you do, you do that as well. You're like, okay, let's slow it down. Let's use some time, use the clock. And um, it's just, it was a crazy ending. It wasn't, I know that Coach Madsen was yelling to foul early, but, you know, there's always that question, do you foul when you're up three or do you not foul? Well, he was yelling to foul, but his players waited until he was able to get into a shot. When he got into it, hits the shot, makes a free throw. What a lot of people don't remember though, is they came down the other end and Utah Valley did and ended up getting a layup. A, a guy drove it down through it. I think it went off the back of, of the foot of uh, one of the other players and it bounced perfectly to a guy on Utah Valley. So he went and had a wide open layup. And it, he shot it over the back. I mean, he shot it right over the rim. It was um, I couldn't believe it. It was like it was wasn't meant to because he hits that layup. It's you know they win. So, um, but to answer your question, Utah Valley was a really good team. We did not want to see them last year. Um, they were stacked at every position, which they showed in the NIT tournament, or uh, you know when they went to the final four of the NIT as well. Yeah, we got a reunion up in Berkeley between Farda's uh, Amic and and Mark Madsen. There's you know that relationship That's there. Right. But I'll yeah. tell you what, Casey, I was burning the midnight oil, maybe the one a.m. oil, because I was in Lebanon and you guys are playing in Vegas, or not you guys, but that game was being played yeah. obviously in Vegas, and it was late for Vegas time. But yeah. I'm like, no, 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 I'm staying up. This is yeah. this is what we we live for here. This is March yeah. Madness. So, yeah. of course, you win the whack. You get the automatic qualifier. So there's not necessarily any suspense come selection Sunday. I guess the suspense is who are we going to be playing and what seed are we going to be? And so I want to know, Casey, can you take us behind the curtain of what those few days were like prior to selection Sunday? And what did you guys do as a, as a unit? What did Bryce drew have going on there? Um, You know, for selection Sunday, please tell me when your name was called, when GC's yeah. name was called, you did not go to the fridge and pick something up. <laughs> That's right. No, actually, we have unbelievable support here at GCU. In fact, I'd encourage you and your listeners to go look on YouTube at some of our uh, fan support. Havocs is one of the top three places to play a college basketball game in the country. It's unbelievable here. So we made the time. I mean, even in Vegas, I mean, the whole arena was purple. It, it's just an unbelievable support uh, that our president, Brian Mueller, has been able to build. Our AD, Jamie Boggs, has been able to uh, – to you know, coordinate uh, the effort to get our students out and it, it it games and it was no different for the NCAA selection Sunday. We got back and and uh, they 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 set up the gym and had a had a great turnout of Havocs uh, fans support. Uh, they had chairs set up. They had the band, cheerleaders, dance, all of that, and uh, so it just made it awesome. You know, sometimes guys will watch from their team room or you know just the coach's living room or somewhere. We were in the gym and, and had a lot of people there and. Um, you know, going into it, we thought 
we thought that we would play a three seed. And so the three seeds at the time, there was talk. It was uh, obviously last year, you know, it was Kansas State. It was Baylor. It was Gonzaga. And I can't, I can't remember the other uh, three seed. But did you want to avoid Baylor? Well, we all, wanted, we all wanted to play Baylor, but okay. we felt like Co- the Coach Drew, the, the Drew brothers definitely wanted to avoid that. Yep. Um, so, uh, so, but we thought that we thought, I thought, boy, this, if the, if the committee has ever wanted to publicize a game, you know, like that, like publicize, like, Hey, the Drew boys going against each other, this would be the time to do it. And they didn't, they didn't do it. But, uh, I think Bryce and Scott were happy. And I think more importantly, uh, Bryce's parents were happy. <laughs> they didn't have to watch that game. Yeah. So you got Gonzaga, right? Yeah. Julian Strother, you got Drew Timmy to prep for, Mark Few, just a, a litany of great players. What was that prep like? I mean, it's it's so hard. Strother had 28, so he killed us. I mean, the focus going into the prep is always on Drew Timmy. You know, I mean, I think it has to be. He's, he's a proven, uh, you know, college player. He's unbelievable. So we really locked in on trying to take him, him away. We did a good job in the first half. I think Drew still ended up with 20 points, but a lot of it came late. Um, we, were, we we did a good job on him uh, in the first. But Strother, Strother was so good at just flying off of ball screens and getting, you know, two feet into the paint, kind of coming off, you know, towards the middle, crossing the free throw line and then shooting like a little runner, a little floater. And his touch was so amazing. We, we just had a really hard time defending that. Um, you kind of pick your poison, obviously. There's so many good players. Watson, uh, their big guy Watson hurt us as well. Um, and uh, and so um, so they're tough. I mean, they've been there. I mean, Mark Few, I mean, he's been to the last six or seven Sweet 16s and, and uh, um, just just an awesome coach. Uh, it's funny, though, one of my best friends was on the staff at Gonzaga. His name's Roger Powell. Roger uh, coached at Valpo with Bryce. Um, we had played together in Europe. So when Bryce got the head job, head coaching job at Valparaiso, he, he asked me, you know, who, who would be a good coach? I said, well, there's a guy I'm playing with over here that wants to be a coach and he'll be amazing. But I don't know if you can get him away from playing, you know, get him to retire early and uh, connected him. And, and long story short, Roger ended up uh, uh, retiring from playing, coached with Bryce for six years at Valpo went with us. We were on staff together at Vandy. And then after Vandy, he went to Gonzaga and now currently just took the head coaching job at Valparaiso university. So he's back there as the head coach, but Roger was on that staff. So it was really, uh, really, really a cool thing to get to go against one of my best friends. And, and, uh, um, you know, obviously it's always awesome to be in the NCAA tournament, but you're always hoping for an upset <laughs> when you're yeah. the other dog. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a very neat story. Roger Powell, just yeah. another another name in the long list of names that Casey Shaw has uh, come across. Um, so you had mentioned how the next step now was to win a game or two and advance in the NCAA tournament. I'm curious to know, Casey, there's always, there's always players where in November or even at this point here in May, but let's say November once college basketball starts picking up, you don't know about them. And then come later in the season, late February, Valentine's Day, we'll say, people know them and their household names. I asked this question to David Miller at Xavier last year. Okay. I asked him, give me a name who nobody knows today, but they will know come crunch time. And he, I'm telling you, at around this point last year, dropped Sule Boom. Everyone wow. knows Sule Boom. Uh, and what an amazing season he had. Casey, can you give me a name or a couple names that you think are going to be household names uh, 
come, let's say, Valentine's Day? Give us give us some insider scoop here. Well, if you want a mid-major name, I mean, I'm going to give you. I'm talking about GCU guys. Yeah. 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 Well, Rayshon Harrison is one of our players uh, who really, he transferred to us last year from Presbyterian. So he went from a low major school. Now he's transferred to a mid-major and he just had a breakout year. In fact, we got him uh, a couple of workouts. He he went through the draft process uh, this spring. So he just came back a couple days ago from his workout with the Brooklyn Nets. And uh, he's going to withdraw his name because he's not going to be drafted this year. But uh, I think with a good summer under his belt and some another year of improvement and confidence, I think he could be somebody that uh, that people are going to be be talking about come March next year, uh, especially in NBA circles. Um, he got some great feedback in some of his workouts that he's done. And, and so, um, yeah, so that's, so we're excited with who we're bringing back. We also brought back Gabe McLaughlin, who's our power forward. Um, uh, nickname around GCU is the young Skywalker. He's super explosive, about six foot six. So not overly, you know, he's not super tall, but really, you know, one of these guys that can just put his chin on the rim and, and powerful, powerful athlete. So he's our foreman. We got those two guys coming back. And then hopefully we get our preseason player of the year point guard back from ACL. He should recover. Javon Blackshear should be uh, good to go by uh, by the fall. I can't wait to revisit this come yeah. early, early <laughs> February, Valentine's Day, because I'm telling you, Casey, I – and it wasn't me. It was more David Miller who's going to be, in my estimation, a head coach. And he's a very – young amazing coach but he he yeah. nailed Sule boom and i remember that after the season he was having i was like i'm gonna clip this i yeah. have the i have the date mark and everything so i'm excited yeah. to do that uh this upcoming season hey uh, i'll get you out of here on a few quick hitters casey yeah. um but real quick i i have to know what makes GCU's home environment so special and so unique? Because I have been there. Rick Pitino, when he was at Louisville, said that was one of the toughest road environments his Louisville Cardinals have ever had to play in and that he's had to play in. Rick Pitino has been in a lot of basketball yeah. arenas. All yeah. right. What makes GCU's home environment so special? I think it's the vision of our president, President Mueller. You know, when he took over this school in 2008, there were less than a thousand students on campus. The school was basically going to go bankrupt. And he came in with his team and he had a vision for what it could be here in Phoenix, Arizona. And it's just exploded in growth. Next year, we're supposed to, we're projected to have 30,000 students online and we have almost 100,000, I'm sorry, 30,000 on ground campus here, 30,000 students. And we have about 100,000 students online. You go from less than 1,000 to now to, you know, 130,000 students, it's just blown up. And uh, part of his vision was to create, um, you know, a basketball team that could be the identity of the school. We don't have football here and our basketball program really is the face. It's really is the, the identity of the school and the Havoc section. That's what our fans are called. The Havocs, um, they're incredible. We have a uh, a, na- a national uh, a band that has won nationals. We have a cheer team that's won nationals and dance that's won nationals. So the atmosphere of the of the arena is electric, and it seats seven thousand people. We average attendance seventy one hundred. So sell out every game, and and that's not just the big games. I mean, I'm talking like our exhibition D two exhibition games. You know, we'll sell out, and uh, it's a blast. It is a huge party. There's a theme every night. Um, we have havoc leaders that that come up with these themes and, and ideas, and they get out and they get the students um, going. Students will camp out in front of the arena. 
you know, so you'll see tents out there. So just an, just an amazing uh, atmosphere that's been created here. And, uh, you know, we, we just need to keep winning so that we can continue to keep keep that energy and buzz about the program going. Certainly think you're on that trajectory. I do a great job of shoehorning this little fact every single time on on this show. Uh, I'm a University of Arizona guy, so uh, really, Casey, the only the only basketball program I recognize in Central Arizona, <laughs> wink, wink, is GCU. All right. Yes, I got you. I got you. Hey, uh, let's do some quick hitters. Let's have some yeah. fun, and then we'll get you out of here. What's yeah. it like being brothers-in-law with Bryce Drew? I don't know if we've mentioned that yet here on this on yeah. this episode. Yeah, so Dana and I have been married. Uh, we were married in '95. So and Scott, uh, for that matter. Sorry, and Scott Drew, yeah, for that matter. That's right. That's right. My my, uh, I'll never forget in college. One of my, uh, I met Scott and uh, got to know him a little bit while Dana and I were dating. And uh, he wanted to work me out. He was an assistant coach at Valparaiso at that time. And I said, oh, okay, this will be good. And he worked me out. Uh, while I was still in college, it was the hardest, most awful workout I've ever been through in my life. I mean, he had me doing like, I mean, I, th- I probably shot a thousand hook shot. I mean, just it's this crazy workout. It was so hard. And I mean, I just hate, I was like, what is this guy? You know, Scott's about five foot 10, never played the post in his life, you know, but, uh, but, uh, but he is, he is, he is, um, he is a pit bull when it comes to coaching, when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to, um, you know, he walks in a room and he just, just livens up the whole place. It lights it a whole. I mean, he's unbelievable. Everybody knows Scott and, and Bryce is, is similar, but he is Bryce is, is much more of a um, analytical type of a coach. I mean, he, he gets down to the details. He does a great job of holding players accountable with, with discipline and details without begrading or cussing or any of that stuff. And, um, and so, uh, you know, Bryce and I, obviously as former players, you know, we were drafted the same class and then we played one year together overseas in Italy. And, um, we've been friends for obviously a long time. Um, and I, I love working for him. Um, he, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I know, um, his quirks and, and what he's looking for when it comes to building a program and the type of players to recruit and what he wants to really accomplish. And so I've been fortunate to, um, you know, to work for a head coach that like him, that, that I'm really close to, you know, off the floor as well. And, uh, um, so, but it's, it's awesome to be a part of the Drew family. I mean, Homer Drew, my father-in-law is, is a gem of a man. I mean, he's a hall of fame, obviously he's won hundreds and hundreds of college basketball games. Um, but, uh, but an unbelievable human being. I've learned so much from him just on how to, uh, build the relationships with players, you know, to get to know the guys, to, to, to do more than just try to win games, but to, you know, to get these guys on a, on a trajectory in their life where they can have success uh, outside of basketball and as, as fathers and as husbands. Um, and, and, and that's been pretty special to, to just kind of experience that and learn that from him. Yeah. That's a beautiful family dynamic there, Casey. Yeah. And it, the, the theme of, of guests that we've had on with father-in-laws that are notable. We had Chris Patola on and his father-in-law oh. is actually coach K. Yeah. Uh, but the reason that, you know, I wanted to start off with all of your personal accolades and, and everything is that, you know, I want people to know that you're not just the Drew's <laughs> brother-in-law, you know, Chris <laughs> Patola isn't just coach K's son-in-law, all yeah. of those accolades, all of your amazing years playing the game, the, the people you've come across, they stand, <laughs> they stand by themselves that they stand by as Casey Shaw. So I do appreciate, you know, you sort of diving into what it's like being a family member, but it's also worth, uh, you know, confirming that <laughs> your, your accolades stand 
by themselves. So, uh, Casey, what I want to do now, having said all of that, is yeah. play a quick game, uh, Scott or Bryce. All right. I'm going to ask you a question. And you can just give me either Scott or Bryce. Okay. More intense on the sideline. I'm going to, <laughs> oh boy, I'm going to go Scott. Scott, better sense of style. Bryce. Who'd you rather go on a double date with? Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Who's funnier? Who's the comedian? Scott. Scott. Who was more intimidating when you first met your wife? Ooh, that's definitely that's definitely Bryce. Bryce and Bryce and Dana were really close. And and actually, the first time I met Bryce, I hosted him. He came to visit on an official visit at Toledo. I was registering as a freshman, and he came on a visit just to hang out with his sister. He wasn't he was never planning on coming to Toledo to play at Toledo, but that was the first time I met him. And he's a pretty protective uh, brother. <laughs> that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. All right, we'll move away from the Drews now. Uh, this is one of my favorite questions to ask guests. What was the toughest environment you've coached in and or played in? So again, you've had an amazing resume of of playing. You've coached in the SEC. You're coaching in the WAC. Uh, it cannot be GCU. Uh, what is the toughest environment you've coached and or played in? All right. So you know, I'm sure I'm sure people would say you know Kansas. You know, I've been in Kansas. Uh, the Rock Chalk Jayhawk stuff and all of that. Uh, um, I've never coached or played at Cameron Indoor, but I've heard uh, that it's pretty amazing. But I'm going to throw one out there that was the most unbelievable game I've ever been a part of, which was a city called Rosetto in Italy. And during that game, uh, there were fire – people were throwing fireballs across the, the, the court. One of my teammates went to take a ball out of, out, out of bounds to throw it in bounds, and somebody threw a hubcap out of the stands and hit him in the back of the legs. Um, it was the crazy, and so it, we ended up. Uh, it was about two minutes to go, and we're up. Uh, we're up in the score. We're going to win the game. We're kind of going pulling away from it. The crowd wasn't happy with the referees, so they start to shower lighters and coins down onto the court. Well, we run off because at this point, actually, I take it back. We didn't just run off. We look over. The referees go to the to the table. They call the game and they go sprinting out of the gym. Well, when that happened the crowd decides to come down and just basically try to get to those refs. There was riot police with the face shields, the batons. I mean, we had to run out of there and people are getting hit with batons. It was the craziest thing. I, I, I've never experienced anything like this in my whole, I mean, you talk about fans that are, I mean, it was, we waited in that locker room for over two hours, had to run to our bus. People were throwing rocks at them. <laughs> but when you think of the most crazy, like Italian, you know, European kind of sports, like I, I experienced that and lived through it. It was unbelievable. And I'll never forget it. And this is a man who's played in Philadelphia. I'll <laughs> be right. that this is yeah, like, I can't forget about Philly fans. Yeah. I've, I, we've had some players who've played overseas and that is the biggest thing that they say is, man, if you think it's cutthroat, it's crazy here in the States, Go over to yeah. some of the overseas. Uh, but that's that's incredible. I'm glad you gave yeah. us that that reply. Uh, just a couple more here, Casey, yeah. and then I'll let you go. In looking at some of the players that you've coached, right? I'd hazard to say the best player that you've that you've coached is Darius Garland. All right, we yeah. talk about the Ohio roots. You coached him at Vanderbilt. Did you know how great Darius Garland would be? I mean, what a season he had. I know for sure he won three state titles. I'm pretty sure he won four. So just a winner. I mean, knows how to win, knows how to play. So he's 
amazing to watch. I knew he was going to be great. Did I know he was going to be as good as he's turned out to be? No, but I knew he would be a, an incredible player. In fact, he came comes in as a freshman. I mean, we beat we win uh, at USC. We beat Arizona State. We beat um, uh, who else did we beat? I can't remember. We had one more win, but we were getting top twenty five votes that season, and he goes down. I mean, it was like. Uh, and again, you know, you lose your point guard. Uh, it, it makes it tough. But Darius is a great kid, unbelievable family, and just a, just a is a joy to be around. And um, I mean, unbelievable player. He's he, he's he's a, un- incredible to watch. And you know, again, we were fortunate to have him. And still, and in fact, he was. Uh, he sometimes he comes through Phoenix. So he'll pop his pop up here, and uh, he and Bryce are still pretty close as well. Cavs fans got a good one. The, the, the sure folks did. of Ohio, Ohio basketball, man, they got a they got a really good one in Darius Garland. So we'll no see doubt. how that that continues. Casey, you've been amazing with your time. I really appreciate it. I'm going to get you out of here on this last segment that we ask every yeah. single one of our guests. It's called "Bring Them Up on Stage." All right, Casey, is yeah. there anyone that you would recommend me reach out to and have them on to theater in college hoops and share some stories as you were so generous to do? Oh, boy, there's a lot of good ones. I would say, uh, you know, um, Lou Gore, who's on staff at Wichita State, would be would be a good one. He's uh, he's been around for a while. Um, uh, uh, If you're looking for um, uh, somebody who would who would uh, an assistant coach who I think is an up and comer, that's that's going to be really good. Corey Farringer is at Northern Colorado. Um, Jake Diebler is at Ohio State uh, is one of my good friends. and we'll be a head coach here soon. Uh, Roger Powell at, at Valparaiso has an unbelievable story and uh, can share some more NBA and European stuff. Uh, but uh, but that's that's kind of top top of mind right there. I think uh, I think all those guys would have some have some pretty cool unique stories to tell. Casey, I'll be reaching out to them just like I reached out to you. Uh, I might be name dropping you because I had a blast here during this conversation. Casey Shaw, thank you so much for spending some time with us, sharing some stories. Best of luck here in this offseason. And I can't wait to see what GCU does here uh, in the in the coming in the coming future. Thanks, Casey. I appreciate you having me on. This has been awesome. It's brought back a lot of good memories. So I really appreciate it. You have a good one. All right. I want to thank Casey again for jumping onto the program and sharing some stories. I, I had a real blast. This interview was definitely up there in terms of some of the most intriguing, jaw-dropping, holy shit type of stories that I've heard. And look, I'm not sitting here. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sitting here interviewing every single player that ever lived, right? But these guys have some remarkable tales to tell. And I thought it was really intriguing and fascinating. The, the family dynamic that he has with the Drews, I thought that was really lovely. Uh, but also what GCU is building towards, right? It was so many times we see these coaches and these programs, their mountaintop is, is dancing, is getting their name called. But GCU's now done that twice in the last three years. Next step, let's go ahead and win a damn game. Let's win us. Let's let's get to the second round, and why not? I love GCU. I've been there for a game. It it truly is one of the most electric atmospheres in the sport. I would seriously encourage you all to go, especially during the winter time. Go during Thanksgiving. Go during Christmas time. It's beautiful out there in Phoenix. 
So want to thank Casey again for jumping on, had a lot of fun and I will be sure to reach out to some of the names that, that he had dropped, but we're going to go ahead and get on out of here. Want to thank Casey one more time. Uh, we got another great interview coming for you next week. Kent state fans be on the lookout for that, but we will catch you next time here on theater and college hoops.